0: A new life, East Side. Be praying for them. Um, if you know any, it's kind of deceiving. We say East Side, doesn't that mean you're going to get wet? Um, it's pretty far, pretty far south. Um, and so, um, we're really excited about this. What a way that God has made these connections and made this happen. So we want to be praying for the team. Um, and again, if you know anybody in the South Side that's looking for a church, just invite them to this new community that's going to be starting. Uh, join me in Matthew 18. Matthew 18. Um, I don't remember the exact page this is on. Uh, It's on, uh, I know it starts at the bottom of the page and goes on 823 to 824. Not that it's two full pages, but like there's one verse on page 823 uh, while you're turning there. Um, Also, let me just say this for guys for the whirly ball. There are others, there's guys at the church who have um, not just bought one ticket, but they've bought two tickets. And so we want to make it to where if you're like, oh, I'd really love to go, but I just don't have the funds right now. We don't want that to be a reason why you can't go. And so... Um, please just come and let me know. Hey, I would love to take advantage of one of those tickets. Uh, I really would like to go, and we will make sure that you're able to be there. Um, People have provided for that, and so don't waste that. Um, If you need it, please take advantage of somebody just trying to make sure that you can be there. And um, that'll just be between us, and uh, we would love for you to be there. Before we get into everything today, I just need to um, have a moment here and say something. Um, I didn't want to do this today. Um, I know it's not really the great lead-in to a message from a pastor. Um, it's just been a rough week. Uh, Wednesday, I got some, um, to say medical news sounds ominous, but it was more just annoying and frustrating, but also very discouraging. Uh, I've been asking you to pray for my friend Pete um, and his cancer battle, and he actually passed away on Thursday. And um, the funeral was yesterday, and it was just really hard. And so um, just different times throughout the last couple of days, like trying to get my mind around the message and just couldn't do it. And a lot of tears and just thinking about his family. And um, (laughs) I didn't request. If I was going to ask for background music, that is not the song. (laughs) Not the song I would choose for my background entrance music. It's like WWE wrestler comes into that, like, Um, and so um, I'm not saying that because I'm looking for anything from any of you or anything. Um, I'm not saying, you know, for, you know, just, you know, that, you know, be gracious because the message is is not really super developed, but um, I'm saying that because I know I'm not the only one that experiences that. Uh, you have different weeks than I've had, um, and it would just be a lot easier. I mean, I'm not going to lie to say it was like, just might <laughs> call in sick today and see if one of the other guys can come in and preach. And, but I, I knew I needed to be here and knew I needed to be in this place and to see and connect and to touch and to be around all of you. And I think it's the weeks that we typically would say I don't want to be there are the weeks that we most need to be here. And so I'm just saying this to let you know that you're not the only one, and that I have weeks like that, and um, we need one another. when, When Hebrews says, do not neglect our meeting with one another, it isn't because we just need to be sin cops in one another's lives. It's because we have weeks, and we have trials, and we have celebrations, and we have everything in between, and we need to celebrate with those who celebrate, and mourn with those who mourn, and... Um, we don't just come to this place to check a box. We come to this place because we need one another. And so I needed to be here today. And so if you're, maybe you're in here this week and today and you, that's how you felt. And I'm just glad that you came too. I'm glad you pushed through that and you're here and and that's awesome. And I, and I know it's hard and sometimes it sucks. And I'm just so grateful that you came. And if you're new with us today, I want you to know this is what you know this is not a perfect place, and we're full of imperfect people, and sometimes it's really hard. But we want this to be a safe place where you can come and be with the Lord and be with other people and and find grace and find just His presence. And so, um, I just want—I just felt like I needed to say that this morning, and so um, here we are. Um, let's pray together, and just uh, if you could be praying for Shara Heinegger and their f- uh, five daughters. Um, uh, It's just anything I've been experiencing, it's worse for them. So we want to be praying for that family. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that you are an amazing God. We thank you, God, uh, for the way that you knit community and you bring community together. God, I thank you for this place and for what you're doing here. And uh, God, I pray that you would uh, be with us this morning as we get into your word and we we think about just the nature of your grace and who you are and how you show us your love and what that means for other people. God, I pray for Shara. I pray for the girls. I pray for your peace beyond understanding. I thank you that you're there. I thank you that you're present as much as you are here. And I pray that they would feel that and know that, especially within just the chaos of what's going on today. Um, We thank you for everything. I pray you'd speak in this place, Lord. I pray you'd say exactly to our hearts the things we need to hear. It's in your name we pray, amen. Uh, So why is grace so amazing? Uh, We've been attempting to answer this question the last few weeks. We talked two weeks ago, giving a different answer to the question and then unpacking that. And so our first answer was, grace is amazing because it's free grace not earned grace. And then the second week was grace is amazing because it's constant grace, not occasional grace. And then today's answer is this, grace is amazing because it's shared grace, not hoarded grace. Grace is amazing because we share it, not because we hoard it. Grace is something that we give, not, the, not something that we keep for ourselves. And so the story that I want to, we're kind of looking at some of Jesus' stories um, throughout the series at different times, and I think this one today is just really, really powerful for the topic at hand. Uh, one of Jesus' followers came up to him and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? I mean, has anybody ever done you wrong? I know the answer to that question. Um, up to seven times, like, hey, like there's a, there's a cap, right? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And just to clarify, it isn't like he's saying, like, no, your your cap is just too small. The cap should be four, whatever that is, 400 and something. 490, thank you. I went to Bible school, math, you know. Um, But that's not what Jesus is saying. He's trying to get the point that there really isn't a cap. Forgive, Because what is grace? It doesn't stop. Then he's, this is what Jesus says in verse 23 is where we're going to hone in today. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And so different loans, different people needed help. And this guy comes before the king, I know bags of gold, are much. how do we get our minds around this? Well, scholars would tell us that the equivalent here that this guy is coming in, this guy owes the king probably between two and two and a half billion dollars. Two and two and a half billion dollars. I don't know how many t-shirts, free t-shirts that guy's got for credit cards, but he is really, really in a hole right now. Verse 24, and as he began the settlement, excuse me, verse 25, since since the man was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Uh, Your family is going to be sold into slavery. The amount that we would get for that is going to go toward your debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me. I'll pay you back. I'll pay back everything. I'll do it. I'll do whatever it takes. Just please don't take my wife. Please don't take my kids. Please, I know this is my fault. Uh, Please, please, master, please do not do this. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Verse 28, But when the master went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins, about four grand. It's about the equivalent here. So about $4,000. So like one free credit card t-shirt. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me. Just picture this, grabbing the guy, shaking him. You need to pay me back my four grand now. Getting in his face and choking him. But the guy refused. Excuse me, he, his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him be patient with me i'm sorry i know i owe you i will pay you back verse 30 but the man refused instead he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt now i know we hear that and it's like well how could you pay off the debt if you're in prison but it would have been a debtors prison so the idea of a work camp type of a thing and so you're in prison working this off but the money's not going to you it's going to the money the people that you owe the money to And so go into the prison camp and work this off. Be away from your family to give me my four grand. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant. I mean, sometimes you don't need a louder volume of a voice for something to be more powerful, right? Can you imagine the look on the master's face as he says that? You wicked servant. I canceled all that debt of yours, $2.5 billion, because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed, until he should pay back the over $2 billion. This is how my Heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This guy in Jesus' story had received grace, but tragically, he withheld it. He hoarded it. He did not pass that on to someone else. He kept it for himself. Now, here's the thing about this story and why this story is so important. Because at the very beginning, Jesus says in verse 23, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like... So this story is meant to point us to a bit of the reality of the kingdom of heaven, what it and what it means to follow Jesus, to be Jesus people, to live after live your life after Jesus. That's what the kingdom is, and so this is what king. This story is going to show us a little bit of what kingdom people are supposed to be like. And the, what the story is saying is that kingdom people are supposed to not act like Mr. Ungenerous here. The way that Mr. Ungenerous went about things, that's not how kingdom people are. The story shows us that kingdom people should be, should show mercy on others, just as the Lord did on us. To be a follower of Jesus, to say that I'm a Christian, is to be a person that shows mercy on others, just as the Lord had mercy on you. To be a person who identifies with Jesus is to be a person who gives grace, not someone who hoards grace. We receive grace freely. We live in grace constantly. But we also must be givers of grace. And so if we're going to avoid being like Mr. Ungener- ungracious, but instead are going to be givers of grace, then we need to understand how this works. And to do that, just let's just think about everything we've talked about the Last two weeks. Well, what is grace? The definition we've been using grace is God's free and unmerited favor shown to guilty sinners who deserve only judgment. It is the love of God shown to the unlovely. It is God reaching down, downward to people who are in rebellion against Him. God is willing, intentionally giving us grace regardless of anything about us. If we are giving what we are receiving, Then giving grace means that we are giving unmerited favor to those who deserve otherwise. It means loving the unlovely. It may even mean reaching toward people who are in rebellion against you. Along with if to, to have received this grace, this is what we're not giving something, something else to somebody, we're giving which we have received. And this is what we have received, so this is what we're giving. Along with this, the reasons why we've said grace is amazing is how we give it. Grace is amazing because it is free grace, not earned grace. We we said we are spiritually bankrupt, we're spiritually dead. But God lovingly rescues and restores us through the work of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection. Grace is received, not earned. That means... For us, that we must give grace freely. We don't make people earn it. We don't expect expect people to earn our grace. We give it freely. We don't give people a list of to do's before we will show them grace. We don't make people clean up, change their ways, or adjust to a lifestyle that makes us comfortable and then give them grace. We don't put a price tag on grace and then make people earn it. We don't give people grace because of who they are, and we don't avoid giving people grace because of who they are. We give grace because of who God is, and because of the grace God has shown us. Grace is amazing because it's free grace, not earned grace, and we give free grace. We don't give grace that has been expected to be earned. Last week, we talked about the fact that grace is amazing because it's constant grace. It's not occasional grace. It's not temporary grace. It doesn't pause. We talked about the fact that life with Jesus doesn't start with grace and then continue with works. We don't have to do stuff to keep grace coming. Grace is always flowing. It never stops. It's constant. It's always going, and we live within that flow of grace. This should be true of how we interact with others as well. If God doesn't ever pause his grace toward us, then we should never pause our grace toward others. We should never pause the flow of grace coming out of us because God has never paused his flow of grace coming into us. Kingdom people don't pause grace when somebody messes up. Kingdom people don't pause grace when somebody offends us. Kingdom people don't pause grace when someone disagrees with us. Kingdom people don't pause grace when somebody rejects Jesus. Kingdom people don't pause grace when someone is an atheist, or pause it when somebody is a Muslim, or any other faith. We don't pause grace when somebody voted for Biden or when somebody voted for Trump. We don't pause grace when they are a neighborhood alderman or if it's an illegal immigrant. We don't pause grace for the LGBTQ. We don't pause grace for the fundamentalists. We don't pause grace for the mentally ill. We don't pause grace for anyone. Because grace is not about works. Grace is not the idea that the person must work to be just like me and just how I want them to be. If you think that's how it is, you have majorly missed the point of grace. Because God doesn't give you grace because of any of those categories, or the opposite. Grace never stops, and we should be giving it to everyone and anyone. Now, I anticipate the pushback here. What about sin? People need to understand God's wrath. Are you just going to be soft on sin? Am I just supposed to let people act like nothing happened? Woke! All the different pushback that people can give to these things. And for any of that, I would ask yourself this question What's your end game? What is your end game interacting with somebody? What do you want to happen in the person's life? Do you only want them to know that they're a sinner? Or do you want them to know that they can be forgiven? Do you only want them to know about God's wrath and that it's real or do you want him to know what th- them to know what he did about that? The reality of the cross and the resurrection. Do you only want people to know that they deserve their consequences or do you want people to understand that God has a better way? Do you want to stand in front of a person and act like Mr. Ungracious, grab them and choke them with further actions, yelling, you need to clean up, you need to fix yourself, you need to experience what you deserve? Because the reality is that that's not the lesson of the story. And that's who we're supposed to be abhorred with, that we're not to want anything to do with. That's not how God wants us to be any experience or outcome when we think about our end game any experience or outcome other than giving grace is a distortion of the gospel we are to be people who give grace constantly never temporary we must give a grace because it's free and not earned we give it because it's constant and not temporary then what does that look like in our day-to-day lives how do we give grace Well, we can't hit every single scripture about these different things, but there's a couple of the few places I want to hit on this morning. How do we give grace? First off, we give grace with our words. We give grace with our words. Ephesians 4 says this, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. If you ever need to ask yourself, how do I talk about this? Because typically what happens is we go to two different extremes. It's just like, I can't believe that you're doing that. Oh, it's okay. no worry. And we kind of, what am I just supposed to kind of like be all wrath or like act like nothing happened? No, because we're not working with the two ridiculous extremes. We're trying to be in reality and talking with somebody. And if you ever need to know, how do I talk to somebody about this? Read this verse. It doesn't matter what the situation is. If it's something really small or really big, if it's super simple or super complex, if it's full of positive or it's tons of tension, it doesn't matter what is. If you want to know how to talk to somebody, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only as such is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. There is never a moment that we open our mouths that that verse shouldn't be true. I was reading a book last month by William Smith. It's called Parenting with Words of Grace. And he explains this verse awesome. He says, everything I, I say needs to be good for building others up. Every joke I tell, every tidbit of news I relay, the things I share for my day, my comments on somebody's haircut, the way I coach, the kind of help I give with homework, my appreciation of dinner, my expressions of gratitude for how others pitch in around the house, everything I say needs to build up the people around me. If it's not helpful, then it doesn't need to be said. Everything should build others up. Everything I say needs to fit the occasion. That it be according to what others need. That doesn't mean I say what people want to hear, but that my words are guided by what others need to hear. Before I open my mouth, I have to consider what is necessary in the moment for somebody else to hear. That's the reality. That's why we can say we do need to call out stuff. We need to address bad things. We need to confront sin all that way. But we do all of that under an attitude of grace. How we say something matters as much as what we're saying. And the manner in which we say something, grace has to be the avenue by which the thing is delivered. And if it's not, it comes across in a way that no one will ever receive it. Everything I say needs to fit the occasion. Then, Everything I say needs to be have a chance to give grace to those who hear. Your words must always can convey grace to the people around you for the sake of leaving them better off before you said anything, that's how God talks to you, his child. Now you talk with that same intention to your own. Now he's writing this book about parents talking to their kids, but I'm sorry, that fits everyone. If you're talking to your spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, neighbor, boss, coworker, peer, classmate, guy on the train, complete stranger, it doesn't matter who it is. Let what I say build them up. Let what I say fit the occasion. Let what I say be a chance for grace to be relayed. What is my end game? If my end game is that they would know the reality of Jesus, then that's going to help me think through how am I going to say this. Because it's not just about pointing out the wrong. It's also about pointing to forgiveness. It's not just talking about this whatever, but also talking about the grace of God. How I use my words matter. Proverbs 25:11 says, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. And so we have to ask ourselves, when you talk to people, are you giving words that are invaluable or are you giving words that are pocket change? Are you giving words to somebody, even in the most tense of situations, that are worth apples of gold on plates of silver, which I don't quite get that illustration, but it sounds like really expensive. But I do get the idea of just giving pocket change. I mean, I know the reality. We walk around the city, we drive up, we pass homeless people all the time, and then every once in a while you get that moment of guilt and you give them just a couple things of change from your pocket or what's in the thing and you felt like you did a good deed and kept going on and they're still in the midst of all of this. That's what we do with the people that we love when we don't think about using gracious words. We're just giving them pocket change, thinking that we did what we needed to do, not caring at all about what's happening to them as we pull away from the situation. Your words matter. My words matter. And in every situation, even if it's something difficult, confrontational, whatever it is, I have to use the best words. Words that build up, words that are appropriate, words that will uh, distribute grace. Those are the words that are invaluable and that we can't put a price tag on. Give, Give grace with your words. Second thing, give grace when there is conflict or tension. Anyone here ever interact with other human beings? Anyone? Let me see. Just want to make sure. I know there might be a couple. All right, this is for you. To be connected with people means there will be tension. To be connected with other people means that we will not agree on all things. I'm going to give you the most earth shattering thing some of us have maybe ever heard before. That's okay. It's okay to be different, it's okay to not agree on everything. Yes, and we can say, but yeah, but what about, yes, there are things we should agree on. But even in that, that doesn't mean that we don't get to, we have a pass on being gracious to somebody. And to be connected with somebody, to be in relationship with somebody, means there's going to be conflict. You're going to do something stupid that hurts somebody else. And somebody's going to do something stupid that hurts you. This is like human interaction 101, And it's in those moments that we show grace. It's in those moments that we distribute grace. And so, a couple verses that talk about this Hebrews 12, 14 to 15. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Make do whatever you can to work at peace with one another. Which I love this verse because it makes it really clear it's going to be impossible at times. (laughs) But do everything you can to do it. And while you're doing that, be holy, which means do the, be like the Lord wants you to be. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. If we're not living the way Jesus wants to, no one's going to see the way Jesus is. See, but here's the grace part. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and to defile many. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. Is somebody walking away from the grace of God? Or I think the way we really need to think through this phrase, am I removing the grace of God from how I see somebody? Because what does it talk about? Let no bitter root grow up and cause trouble and defile many. So what this passage is talking about is what Jesus talks about in another place is not letting our sun go down in our anger. To not just go, ah, I'm just not going to deal with it. I'm just going to blow it off. I'm just going to ignore it. No one's ever done that. No one's ever done that. And so when that thing comes up, oh, they said this, or I heard this, or this, they looked at me in this manner, or they gave, or they didn't show up for this, or they dropped the ball here, or I heard this story. If I don't address that, it's going to cause a bitter root. It's going to cause a destructive poison in your life, which causes danger in the community and will spread to others. The, when you don't know, it's your responsibility to figure it out. And we can't make assumptions with p- other people. This has been a thing. We've experienced this. It's horrible. If you don't know what's going on with somebody, don't just hold on to it. Don't just, well, I mean, this is bad. I'm leaving. Find out what's going on. Because the thing that you might have in your head might be wrong. There might be misunderstanding. Maybe the person didn't say that. Maybe they weren't thinking about you when they were, they were staring off into space. Maybe they dropped the ball because there was something other else that came up. Came up. We need to, if we're going to be gracious, then we need to be slow to process. We're going to get to that verse in a minute. We need to step into a situation and try to understand. And when those roots of bitterness come up, the top, the weed, we need to weed that out ourselves. And the shovel's in your hand. We cannot allow bitterness to take root because it's only going to change how you look at other people and look at community, and then you want to reject the place not because of anything that's actually happening on, but because of the stained glasses you're looking through. We have to make, keep short accounts with one another. We need to make sure that we are operating in grace, And we need to make sure that we're living holy. And that's the reality of holiness. If I'm truly loving God the way that I want to love, I say it, I'm truly trying to be holy, then how I'm gonna be holy occurs with how I'm treating the community I'm part of. And so just exit or reject somebody without ever having understanding is not a holy thing to do. We need to be willing to have conversations. That's so hard. Yeah, do your best to make every effort to live at peace. God's acknowledging it's hard, but we have to do it. it. says in James 1, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. We're familiar with the idea of the, um, the pause that happens in broadcast TV, the delay. Basically, and it doesn't always work. I was there for the Super Bowl with Justin Timberlake. It doesn't always work. But the reality of that is we're going to give a pause because if something stupid happens, we can adjust. That's what this verse is telling us. As we interact with other humans, as we interact with people, whether it's somebody in your home, somebody in your church, someone in your office, a neighbor, whatever, there's going to be moments when we're like, ah! And maybe we heard something, maybe somebody said something, maybe somebody did something, or whatever it is, and it's almost like, we, like somebody jumped out and scared us, and it's like, ah, why are you scaring me? And we get mad, and it's like, I didn't mean to. It was an accident. We react to those moments when people do something so quickly that we respond rather than trying to understand what's going on. To live holy lives means when somebody startles you, When somebody does something wrong and it's like, oh, what are you doing? Don't just immediately make assumptions. Be slow, quick to listen, which means try to understand. Slow to speak, don't comment till you understand. And become slow to anger because maybe the situation doesn't necessitate anger. Another passage, Ephesians 4. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. Into Christ, with whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. A lot of kick talk here about community and building one another up, but listen to that first part. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way to Him who's the head. This verse is talking about, as far as a community, our end game should be that people grow in the Lord and come to be in community with the Lord. My end game when I talk to people should be that they are growing in every way more into Jesus. And so there's going to be moments where I have to speak hard, difficult truth to people. But I have to do that in love. There is never a moment, again, remember what we just said, there's never a moment when the words coming out of my mouth should not be an opportunity to share grace with somebody. There should never be a moment out of my, when words coming out of my mouth should not contain love. If those things aren't happening, they're not godly words. What does that mean? I just act like, no, sometimes you got to say really difficult, hard, confrontational things. But how we say it matters. And there's this, in some aspects of the larger church, there's this idea where we hear this speaking the truth in love. Well, yeah, that's just being soft, and I don't have to love the person. I need to let them know. You know what, dude? Whoever thinks that way needs to take it up with God because he's the one that commanded this. And if we think that speaking the truth in love is a thing of weakness, then we are clueless about the things of God. Speak the truth in love. And so where is the conflict? And where is the tension? And let me just say, don't use the Christian justification type things. Well, I mean, it's not like I really hate him, but... I mean I wouldn't say we're in conflict there's an issue there There's something there and so deal with it deal with it in a gracious way go toward it move toward it and it might be really hard and you might need to have talk with somebody beforehand you might need to have somebody present there but deal with it now on that let me I just I need to give this disclaimer there's going to be some moments with the people in our lives where we need to give grace always. We need to forgive always. But that doesn't mean reconciliation will always happen. Now, that should not be our fir- if that's our first thing that we're thinking of, then it's like, well, I'm not going to be connected with that person. Why do I have to do all this stuff? Talking about the person who's like in a really abusive situation, you need to get out of that. And you can, we can be gracious, we can be forgiving, but you need to get out of that. And you might not ever be able to go back to that. And that's okay. That doesn't mean you're not being gracious. You can wish the person well, you can hope that they find the Lord, you can hope that the God shows them the reality of grace, but you need to not be in that situation. And so I, th- I feel like that needs to be said. We need to work toward toward giving grace. We need to work toward forgiveness. We need to extend that to all people. But there's going to be the occasional situation, the really, really hard things, where maybe that connection just doesn't happen anymore. And yes, that does happen in extreme cases. Don't allow the extreme cases to justify you not having a difficult conversation with somebody. Give grace when there's conflict and tension. And then the last thing, give grace by showing the gospel and sharing the gospel. Give grace by showing the gospel and sharing the gospel. We need to tell people about Jesus, and we need to show people Jesus. The scriptures tell us, proclaim the message of Jesus. Share the reality of the gospel. Matthew 28, so... Go, go, therefore, excuse me, I'm gonna read second Corinthians 5.20, for I got out of order here. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead. Come back to God. We are the ones called to proclaim, all of us. Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Romans 10, how can how then can they call on the one They have not believed in and how can they believe in the one they have not heard and how can they hear without someone preaching to them and how can anyone preach unless they are sent as it is written how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. We are called commanded every single one of us have the responsibility to tell people about Jesus Yes, as a pastor, I know that that's part of my job, my role, all of that. But let's just make it really clear. It's not only mine. It's everybody who's not a pastor in this room, raise your hand. If your hand's up, it's your job to tell people about Jesus too. And if your hand wasn't up, it's still your job. We all have been called to that. But we also need to show Jesus by our actions. Philippians 1, whatever happens, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Let how you live portray the reality of the content of the gospel. Jesus says in Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. How we live will show people the reality of Jesus. We will shine the light of him. D.L. Moody said, of 100 men, one will read the Bible and then the 99 will read the Christian. There is a reality that how we live, people will interact with Christians more than they will read the Bible. We w- now, we want them to read the Bible. But just based on reality, people who don't know Jesus will interact with Christians more than they will interact with the Bible. And so if people aren't showing the message of the Bible, we're being misrepresentatives of Christ. And at this, we have to ask ourselves, has the church failed? Or are we succeeding? Someone asked Charles Spurgeon, and I'm paraphrasing here, which is more important, prayer or reading the Bible? Spurgeon answered, which one is more important, inhaling or exhaling? I would give the same answer to the question, which is more important, sharing the gospel or showing the gospel? Which is more important, exhaling or inhaling? Because if I only share the message of Jesus but don't show it, then my message is invalidated and gives no credence to our message. If what I'm saying says something about Jesus, but my life says something different, then I'm saying that the message is inauthentic and isn't real. If we only show it, but never share the words, we have not made Jesus known. We have to share Jesus, but we also have to show Jesus. In the the prophets, Micah said, or Micah wrote this, who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgressions of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight in showing mercy. Who that one hurts. Well, yeah, that's awesome about God, but I have to ask myself, when I read this verse, am I being like God or am I being like Mr. Ungenerous? Would I rather stay angry or do I want to enjoy giving mercy? Think about the moments when we connect with others. If we are supposed to give as we have received, would I rather stay angry? Or would I rather give mercy? The verse describes God. You do not stay angry forever. Do we stay angry forever? Do we delight in showing mercy? Or is it something we try to talk our way out of because of who the person is or what they've done. Dorothy Day say, I really only love God as much as I love the person I love the least. I really only love God as much as I love the person I love the least. Too often we try to justify our ways of keeping people away rather than being obedient to the Lord and trying to bring them near. And so what does it look like for you to share and show the message of Jesus this week. Grace is amazing because it is free grace, not earned grace, because it is constant grace, not temporary grace, because it is shared grace, not hoarded grace. I don't know which of these messages has hit your heart the most. Maybe it was free grace, not earned. Maybe that's what you needed to hear over this series, the fact that God loves you, he knows everything about you. He knows every detail through and through. And he has never stopped his love for you. He knows the reality of your life. He knows the reality of what you're longing for. He knows the reality of what you're searching for. And he knows better than you that it's him that you're longing for. And it's him that you're searching for. And with the reality of our sin breaking the relationship with him, he made it possible for that relationship to be restored amended, and, and made new. And you just have to receive that gift. So maybe that's the thing you need to do from this series. You need to receive the grace of God. You need to become a child of God, not because you earned it, but because God made that possible. Because God wanted you. Maybe you needed to hear the fact that grace is constant, not temporary. You've thought that I need to keep working at this, and I need to keep doing this, and it seems so exhausting, so what's the point? No, grace is always flowing. You don't have to do any work to earn God's favor. You need to learn to live under God's favor. There is an amazing God who loves you immensely, and you and I have done nothing to earn that. We live within the constant reality of His grace. Maybe today's the one you needed to hear, because there's somebody in your life that you've been withholding grace from. You've wanted them to earn grace. You haven't responded to situations in grace. You, you've acted more like Mr. Ungenerous, un, ungracious than a person of grace. And so that, if that's where you're at, go back to number two because you are under a constant flow of grace and ask God for forgiveness and ask him to show you how to give grace in the same manner that he has given it to you. Again, there's different hard situations there's complex situations and things we'd have to figure out and process how to move forward in them but none of that means that grace is not the goal grace is amazing and there's no way we can cover it in three weeks but i hope these last three weeks has helped you see a little bit of why it's so awesome let's pray God, I thank you again just for who you are. We thank you for this community. We thank you for your presence here. We thank you for what you're doing in this place. And I pray, God, you would make your grace real to us. Whether it means receiving it or living within it or giving it, God, let us flow within your amazing grace. Give people courage to receive it if that's what they need to do. God, remove the sense of perfectionism that we could live within your grace. God, give us new eyes to see people as you do, so that we can give them grace. It's in your name we pray. Amen. If you stand with us. We're going to close this lesson.